0: Welcome back to Radford Reading Daily. We are continuing to read Melissa V. Harris Perry's Sister Citizen, Shame, Stereotypes, and Black Women in America. We are on the bottom of page 35 and we are beginning a new theme within this chapter. This theme is entitled The Politics of Recognition. We can characterize African-Americans' women's struggle with the slanted images of the crooked room as a problem of recognition an important theme for political philosophers interested in issues of identity, difference, and citizenship. Recognition scholarship derives from the concept, central to Hegelian philosophy, of anerkennung, or mutually affirming recognition that allows citizens to operate as a part of the social construct. Oh, excuse me, within the confines of the social contract. Hegel proposes recognition as an animating struggle of human society and particularly of public life. Anarcheanug is a core feature of the relationship between citizens and the state. Citizens want and need more than a fair distribution of resources. They also desire meaningful recognition of their humanity and uniqueness, and they are willing to make sacrifices to get it. The social contract is the basis of democratic citizenship. Within this contract... Individuals subject themselves to rules, constraints, and collective burdens imposed by the state, such as taxes and military service, in exchange for safety and services provided by the state, such as security and social programs. Implied rather than explicit, the social contract is the key to stable, voluntary, democratic institutions. The social contract of democratic governments assumes that governing authority derives from consent of the governed rather than from divine command, hereditary connection or armed capacity. American founding documents draw heavily and explicitly on Enlightenment traditions steeped in the idea of a social contract in which recognition plays a central role. For example... The Declaration of Independence asserts citizens' collective right and responsibility to draft a social contract that allows not only safety and freedom, but also the pursuit of happiness. Although liberal social contract theory is aggressively individualist, Hegel's theory of recognition is aware of reciprocity and of community and social relationships. Excuse me. Taking recognition seriously means understanding that groups are as important as individuals for specifying the correct relationship between the state and the citizens. Citizenship is more than an individual exchange of freedoms for rights. It is also a membership in a body politic, a nation, and a community. To be deemed fair, a system must offer its citizens equal opportunities for public recognition and groups cannot systematically suffer from misrecognition in the form of stereotype and stigma. In the next chapter, I describe how this democratic requirement of equal recognition has been violated for African-American women in their relationship with the American society and state. But first, I want to pause to explore why political theorists consider recognition so important to the experience of citizenship. According to Hannah Arendt, Arendt? The public sphere makes a unique contribution to human self-actualization by offering opportunities for recognition. Quote, The public realm was reserved for individuality. It was the only place where men could show who they really and inexchangeably were. It was for the sake of this chance and out of love for a body politic that made it possible to them all that each was more or less willing to share in the burden of justification, defense, and administration of public affairs. End quote. People are willing to do the work of citizenship, Arendt suggests, because the public sphere offers them a chance to be seen and recognized as unique individuals. Her reasoning hints that recognition is part of the solution to the collective action problem represented by the democratic social contract, the problem of ensuring contributions to the collective, such as taxes or military service, even when an individual's personal interests might be served by refusing to contribute. To the extent that people crave recognition opportunities made possible only by participation in the public sphere, recognition acts as a selective incentive, encouraging pro-social behavior, and freeing the state from enforcing all contributions through threat of punishment. Okay. Give me a second, just getting ready to turn the page here. Thomas Hobbes, asking why individuals would give up their perfect natural freedom to enter into to enter into a social contract that is less free, finds the explanation in the need for safety. Without a state, men may be free, but their lives are, quote, solitary, poor, nasty, brutish and short, end quote rent offers a, prov- a provocative alternative explanation. People are willing to shoulder the burden of self-government because the public sphere offers a particular, indivisible, non-transferable good that is otherwise unavailable to them. Recognition. Craving recognition of one's special, inexchangeable uniqueness is part of the human condition, and it is soothed only by the opportunity to contribute freely to the public realm. The problem for marginal and stigmatized group members should be obvious. These citizens face fundamental and continuing threats to their opportunity for accurate recognition. Individuals denied access to the public realm or whose group membership limits their social possibilities cannot be accurately recognized. An individual who is seen primarily as a part of a despised group loses the opportunity to experience the public recognition for which the human self strives. Further, If the group itself is misunderstood, then to the extent that one is seen as part of this group, that quote, seeing, end quote, is inaccurate. Inaccurate recognition is painful not only to the psyche, but also to the political self, the citizen self. Arendt maps a deep connection between the public and private selves. Misrecognition in public has a profound impact on the private self. Quote Since our feeling for reality depends utterly upon appearance, and therefore upon the existence of a public realm into which things can appear out of the darkness of sheltered existence, even the twilight which illuminates our private and intimate lives is ultimately derived from the much harsher light of the public realm. End quote. Despite its importance, Arendt refuses to fetishize the public sphere. Recognition in public begins with nurturing solitude in a protected, autonomous private realm individuals need sheltered, private space not available to public view. Without this privacy, life, quote, loses the quality of rising into sight from darker ground, which must remain hidden if it is not to lose its depth in a very real, non-subjective sense, end quote. The need for privacy creates another dilemma for black women. In the next chapter, I argue that because of their history as chattel slaves, their labor market participation as domestic workers, in their role as dependents in a punitive modern welfare state, black women in America live under heightened scrutiny by the state. As members of a stigmatized group, African American women lack opportunities for accurate, affirming recognition of the self and yet must contend with hypervisibility imposed by their lower social status. As a group, they have neither the hiding place of private property nor a reasonable expectation of being properly recognized in the public sphere. This situation undermines the intersecting needs for privacy and recognition that underline the democratic social contract. Okay, let's have a reflection here because it's going to be, I think we got a few more pages before we either end the chapter or have a changing in the theme of the chapter. I'm going to get a drink of water real quick. And then, well, this is one of the things I enjoy the most about reading a book that I have not read read yet and reading from an author that I have not read from before is every author has their own their own art to the way they put words together. And specifically when you begin to read about things that are mm, social commentary and political commentary, everybody's ideology and the way they Form their ideology and the way they articulate how their ideology, the the formation of their ideology, is just uh, is very satisfying to me because it always sort of fills in. uh, For me personally, some of my belief systems, more my belief systems specifically around some of these social issues as police terrorism, mass incarceration, and racial injustice are sort of drawn in in black and white. And I don't mean that to to say that I think that the problems are black and white. I think that there's a lot of gray area within the problems. I'm not using it in that type of a metaphor. I'm using it as a, like, maybe a coloring book. So I have these lines that are drawn where these are things that i believe in or i don't believe in and i won't waver on these things these is this is where my ethics line up and where they don't line up and i won't waver on these things and a lot of that is based on my personal experiences as it is for a lot of us however each time i read about read another book or listen to another speech or read another essay watch another documentary have another conversation with another person that's experienced some of these things those pictures that are drawn in black and white begin to have more colors to them. Uh, they begin to have maybe thought bubbles on the picture. Uh, the picture just begins to become more detailed and more colored, and the and that's what I ta- that's one of the goals that I have for this Rafa reading series in general is that, as I've said before, each one of these books is like a piece of a puzzle, and we're trying to put together. The the bigger picture of the issues of police, terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice. And so each book that we read sort of complements the next. And so I say all those things to say that within here, uh, I w- within women, race and class, Angela Davis sort of spoke to us with some ideology behind it and some political, a lot of political commentary behind it and some ideology and belief system was within there uh but a lot of it was sort of just giving historical facts about what about the 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 issues of women race and class in this country dating back from the inception of the country to when the book was written and i think what we have seen in this first chapter here uh, entitled "Crooked room is melissa v harry excuse me melissa v harris perry giving uh pol- giving a some of the idea, ideological concepts that have derived from that experience. Uh, and so here, let's, let's go back to where we started here. Uh, okay. So like here, when, when Melissa V. Harry Harris Perry, excuse me, uh, when she, when she speaks about the politics of recognition here, and she speaks about how the politics of recognition works and, how the concept is has been evolved from different people and how different people's perspective of the concept, I sort of think about how this, how that concept affects black women in all these those different time periods that we read about in Women, Race, and Class. Uh, I think about how, here, yeah, let me see if I can find it specifically. Hmm. The social contract is the basis Of democratic citizenship Within this contract Individuals subject themselves To rules, constraints And collective burdens Imposed by the state Such as taxes and military service In exchange for safety And services provided by the state Such as security and social programs Okay, so Now, then they further expand upon that by saying the social contract of democratic governments assumes that governing authority derives from consent of the governed rather than from divine command, which would be like kings and queens and uh, princes. A lot of times when you trace those things back, they it was said that that bloodline was divine. So that was why they were the people doing the governing Uh, hereditary connection, which is, again, tied back to the bloodline or armed capacity, which would be. Uh, just a straight fascist country, uh, one that that's a, not hiding in an authoritarian country. Not to say that it's not very strong elements of fascism within this country, but when you when you read that, and, and let me hear. I'm going to add this last thing to it. Sorry. For example, the Declaration of Independence asserts citizens' collective rights and responsibility to draft a social contract that allows not only for safety and freedom, but also the pursuit of happiness. So all of these things that are being talked about within this social contract or the concept of the social contract are things that have been routinely denied to black women, that have been routinely denied to black people as a whole. And so... And again, within this, they talk about how this is an individualistic concept, but they talk about the, and I think one of the things we've talked about here too is the importance that collectivism is something that is important and that collectivism has to be heightened for us to be able to uh, combat properly racism and and capitalism and, and exploitation and oppression is that we have to have a, a heightened sense of collectivism. Uh, however that collectivism cannot come at the expense of an individual. And so I think one of the things that the social contract is talking about is about somebody's individual relationship with the, with the state and how, how negative impacts from that individual relationship with the state can have an overall negative impact with the collective relationship with a, a specific community. Mm. And the the concept that they put to put out there of, or excuse me, the concept that Melissa V. Harris-Perry puts out there about the public realm, I think is something that I guess maybe I have thought about before, but never articulated. And that's one of the things I wanted to say is that a lot of these these books. That have these social commentary and political commentary. People articulate things or put things into words that maybe you subconsciously have thought about or subconsciously knew, but had never consciously sort of uh, framed and phrased together. Uh, And so, I can guarantee that this will be one of the books that reading it a second time with the understanding of sort of what where the journey takes takes me will be very fulfilling and I'll be able to sort of probably speak a lot better initially after some of reading some of these concepts. But again, I think that it's important to make sure that as we're reading things, we're taking moments to be able to figure out how these things that we just read fit into previous things that we've read. sick I'm trying to figure out where I left off at. OK, here we go. Recognition is a useful framework because it emphasizes the interconnection between individuals and groups. Individuals from disempowered social groups desire recognition for their group, but also want recognition of their distinctiveness from the group. Thus, many African-Americans bristle at the idea of colorblindness because it suggests that race is irrelevant to identity. They want to be understood as black and thus tied to a history and culture associated with blackness. At the same time, they do not want to be reduced to their racial identity alone. Just recognition means being neither blind to nor blinded by identity differences. Just recognition. Means being neither blinded to nor blinded by identity differences. Misrecognition has been a central theme in African American intellectual traditions. In The Souls of Black Folks by W.B. Du Bois, he describes the experience of living behind a veil and asks, quote, How does it feel to be a problem? End quote. This formulation of black life in America emphasizes both the physical barriers imposed by segregation, which make it difficult for black people to be seen, and the dispositional racism that views black life as problematic for the nation. Ralph Ellison's stunning novel, Invisible Man, is a masterful treatment of the recognition crisis faced by black Americans. It opens with a, de- a declaration of misrecognition. Quote, I am invisible. Understand simply because people refuse to see me, end quote. Ellison's protagonist struggles with multiple forms of misrecognition. He finds that he is sometimes hypervisible, exposed to the aggressive and unwanted gaze of tormentors, and at other times transparent, as though those whom he encounters can simply see through him. Always, racism keeps others from seeing him accurately. African-American feminist scholar Belle Hooks asserts the primacy of recognition as a precondition for citizenship in her book, Black Looks. She argues that the very act of looking at individuals from marginal groups is infused with power. To be a person of relative power and privilege, viewing a person of less power and privilege is a political act. The gaze of the powerful is neither neutral nor benign misrecognition hinders the ability of Black people to act as citizens. Indeed, Hooks asserts, challenging white people's assumptions about what they see when they view Black people is a critical step toward liberation and equality. The misrecognition experienced by Black women who attempt to engage in the public sphere is what I mean when I speak of the crooked room. By emphasizing recognition in my analysis, I am making a specific and potentially controversial choice. Why should we be concerned with inaccurate recognition when injustices of distribution seem so much more pressing? Shouldn't we focus on the unequal social, economic, and political structures that profoundly and disproportionately affect Black women's material circumstances and opportunities? Political scientist Patchen Markle points to the limits of politics organized around recognition as the preeminent democratic good. This view of democracy, he writes assumes that subordinate groups are primarily harmed by, quote, a ubiquitous and deep-seated form of injustice called misrecognition, which consists in the failure, whether out of malice or out of ignorance, to extend to people the respect or esteem that is due to them in virtue of who they are, end quote. While this may be true, Markel argues, recognition is an endogenous process, Humans do not simply have a, quote, true self, end quote, that is either recognized or not. Individuals become who they are as a result of being seen, quote, recognition is not a thing of which one has more or less. Rather, it is a social interaction. Excuse me, quote, recognition is not a thing of which one has more or less. Rather, it is a social interaction that can go well or poorly in various ways, end quote. Citizenship is therefore bound up with recognition in complicated ways, and justice requires more than demanding to be seen, or to be seen accurately. Engaging in the public sphere through politics is the, quote, ongoing, unpredictable, and eminently political activity through which we become who we are, end quote. Recognition is thus a problematic entry point for work on African Americans' political lives excuse me, African-American women's political lives. Recognition scholarship, like its political counterpart, identity politics, is routinely maligned as concerned with symbols rather than substance, cultural battles rather than economic ones, the appearance of power rather than the exercise of it. What difference does it make that other people recognize your uniqueness if you don't have equal access to political and economic resources? The social and political theorist Nancy Fraser has been critical of the ways that a focus on recognition can silence concerns about economic redistribution. She levels a damning criticism against the orists of the multiculturalism who seem concerned more with the culture wars than with the material circumstances of marginal people. But rather than discard recognition as a theoretical framework, Fraser encourages us to see the interplay of recognition and redistribution. Recognition of race, gender, and sexual identity is not, she argues, simply a matter of self-actualization for the citizen, nor is recognition solely a matter of personal interactions among individuals. Hold on, I gotta get something to drink. It is intimately bound to distributive justice. Misrecognition is a matter of quote, institutionalized patterns of cultural value in ways that prevent one from participating as a peer in social life. End quote. Distribution inequalities of social, political, and economic goods are related to the inability to quote see, end quote, citizens from low status, stigmatized groups accurately. Fair distribution alone cannot solve the problem of misrecognition nor can accurate recognition alone fairly redistribute resources. My decision to begin with the framework of recognition politics is based in empirical findings that start with the women in my focus groups. As African-American women describe the barriers and difficulties they experience, many pointed to issues of misrecognition. The recognition framework also brings to the fore the emotional experiences of black women as a location for political understanding. There are clear connections between public misrecognition and black women's experiences. It is painful to labor under negative stereotypes. My goal is to show the political consequences of that personal pain. Political philosopher Charles Taylor describes the crooked room problem when he writes, quote, A or group of people can suffer real damage, real distortion, if the people or society around them mirror back to them a confining or demeaning or contemptible picture of themselves, end quote. Although I will address material and structural inequality, this book is primarily about recognition. My task is to explain how black women's citizenship is shaped by their attempts to navigate a room made crooked by stereotypes that have psychic consequences. All right. And then that brings us to a changing in the theme of this chapter. And I think on the next chat, the next episode, we will complete this chapter. And this chapter has been a lot. This has probably been, since we read *Women, Race, and Class* by Angela Davis, the most unique book that we have read, or the un- most unique piece of literature that we've read. And I'm going to strive to continue to to mix up the kind of things that we're reading, precisely because we need a a full array of information to properly address the issues of police terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice. And it's clear that this is going to fall more in the racial injustice. Part of that, that three headed monster. But I think what's important for us to point out is that we have established over past episodes and past readings that anything that falls into one category inherently is connected to other categories. So I'm sure that we will also learn about police terrorism and mass incarceration within the, passages that are yet to come uh and yeah the when when she says here that this book is primarily about recognition even though she'll address material and structural structural inequality we have read things about material inequality and structural inequality and so it is important for us to also be able to pair that with recognition it is important for us to be able to read a book like High Rises, High Rises by Ben Austin and hear about black women's social commentary based on their personal experiences in this area where they have an unequal and unequitable amount of resources. And then to be able to read Melissa V. Harris Perry's Sister Citizen and hear how black women who are their peers, how they suffer internal uh how they how they suffer internal uh consequences or the internal residual effects from that and hearing that be phrased in a i don't know if it's ideological i guess we haven't got deep enough to know if there's going to be an ideological but as as melissa v harris perry put it, i'm trying to put it in i'm trying to make it too complicated we've read about before in high risers how black women experienced material and structural inequality And so I think it's important to pair that with Sister Citizen and hear about uh, black women's struggles with recognition because those things go together as one. So then some of the things that we will read and learn and understand and have painted for us within Sister Citizen will go to complement us going back and reading high risers and hearing about those black women's experiences and high risers. And then us going back and reading women race and class and hearing about those black women's experiences and women race and class. And as we add more and more uh, pieces of literature onto this rock for reading curriculum that is primarily connected with the issues of of black women. Okay. So share this on whatever platform you're listening to it on. We are at our 30 minute mark. This was a good episode. Uh, I learned a lot. Hope you learned a lot. And we will be back tomorrow, continuing to read Sister Citizen and We put these episodes out on a daily basis to provide you the opportunity to begin or further your journey in the struggle to end police, terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice.